0: Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful Sabbath and this opportunity that we have to come apart from the cares of this life and to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, uh, I need your help. My feet are made of clay and I ask for the Holy Spirit to apply the truths from scripture specifically to every heart, to every need, May our hearts be touched with the love of Christ, and may we be uplifted by your Spirit. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This morning I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. Paul here is reflecting on Moses's experience after he came down from Mount Sinai. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 18. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord— the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. Paul is using... This analogy of Moses after he came down from the mountain, remember his face was shining with the glory of God. And the children of Israel said, look, we can't look at your face. It's too bright. So they asked him to put a veil over his face. And Paul uses this experience, this analogy, in applying a very important principle in the Christian experience. I want to pick it apart with you a little bit. In verse 18, the Bible says, but we all with unveiled face, contrasting the children of Israel, they had to put a veil on the face of Moses, but Paul says, now we don't have to have a veil, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. Now this word beholding literally means to contemplate or to think about, to thoughtfully look at a long time. Synonyms are to take in, to reflect upon, to meditate, and to ponder. So this beholding is not just a visual beholding. It is a beholding in the mind to contemplate and to think about what are we beholding, the glory of the Lord. Let's go to the Old Testament, to the experience on Mount Sinai. Go to Exodus chapter 33, verse 18 through 21. Moses is having a conversation with God. And he asked this question in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. And he said, please show me your glory. Moses asked to see the glory of God. And God said, I will make my goodness pass before you. I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is the place by me, and you shall stand on the rock, and so it shall be, while my glory passes by." that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I shall take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses asks to see the glory of God and he says, look, you can't see my face, but you can see my back. So Moses goes into the cleft of the rock. There's a song, he hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. Well, this is where it comes from. Moses goes in the cleft of the rock And God places his hand over the cleft of the rock. He passes by, and in a brief moment, he removes his hand. And Moses, I imagine, is peering out the cleft of the rock, and he sees the back of God. And that experience was so transformative that the children of Israel said, you have to place a veil over your face because we can't look at your face. Notice what God says when Moses asks to see the glory of God. He says, I will let my goodness pass before you. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. The glory of God we think of as this physical presence, this physical brightness. But I believe that the brightness of God, the illumination of God, really comes from the essence of who he is, his character. God is beautiful. Amen? Amen. God is love. And because he is so beautiful in character, there is a physical radiance that emanates from that inner beauty. The glory of God is not only the physical illumination, but it is the character of who God is. And we go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, "...but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, the, the character of God, are being transformed." Now, this is from the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, And I believe that it gets the tense of the original language the best. It says, are being transformed. In other words, this is not a one-time experience. It is a continual transformation that we experience. It's not as though we are transformed once, but we are in a continual process of transformation, of becoming like Jesus daily into the same image from glory to glory from one character to another character. This is a continual process of transformation, our being transformed. So this process of continually contemplating and meditating upon who God is has a transformative process upon our own character. We are being transformed from one character to another character. And the beauty of the Christian experience is uh, I came to Jesus just the way that I was. I praise the Lord for that steps of Christ quote, that we can only come to Christ just the way that we are. And he wraps his arms around us and we begin this process of transformation. I've kept this journal from the inception of my Christian experience till now. And, and i look back on my early entries and i just shake my head i'm like oh wow what a what a case you know i'm just and i praise god that even though i have a long way to go there has been growth in my christian experience and many times this growth is unconscious to us The last part of this verse, it says, by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit makes this transformation possible. And as we reflected on the Holy Spirit last night, we brought out the idea that Christ, through His Spirit, abides in us. The Holy Spirit fills each individual that is open to His transformative process. This is from the book Great Controversy, page 555. It is a law of both intellectual and and the spiritual nature that by beholding, we become changed. The mind gradually adapts itself to the subjects upon which is allowed to dwell. It becomes assimilated to that which is, it is accustomed to love and to reverence. I have a picture of Charles Bradford. Uh, he used to be the North American division president. Incredible speaker very well read and when i was a freshman in the theology program of the school i went to there was a class that we were required to take and it was homiletics and it was a terrifying experience public speaking we had to get up in front of the whole school and give a 10-minute talk and i was absolutely terrified furthermore the class would critique your entire 10 minute talk with these uh, little uh, sheets and you would get a collection of all the sheets after class and they would bring up your name and openly have an open dialogue uh, on your sermon, very painful. And then the professor would sit down with you and watch your sermon and uh, give you pointers. And I remember in preparing for this sermon, for about six months, I listened to a tape. Remember those tapes? I'm right if I don't a, a tape. My dad had an old tape of Charles Bradford. And I would listen to it over and over and over again for six months. Charles Bradford. I mean, it was an incredible sermon that I loved and I appreciated. I listened to this. I I I meditated on this sermon day and night. I got up from my homiletic sermon, and I preached, and I thought it went wonderful. (laughs) And then one of my African-American friends came to me and said, David, you preached like a brother. And I was like, what do you mean you preach like a brother? A brother in Christ? And he walked off. Now, just as a side note here, there is nothing like African American preaching. I believe it is at the height of homiletic ability. I think to myself, oh, if I could only capture that type of wording, you know, it's just the language of angels. And I sat down and watched later that afternoon with the professor my sermon. And as soon as he hit play on that old VHS tape, which I hope they burned by the way, you know, they <laughs> press play. And it was a surreal experience because I was watching an Asian man <laughs> preach like a black man. It was weird. The, the pronunciation and the repetition and the homiletic, you know, climbing of the mountain. And I said, what happened to me? I said, that is a Korean That's trying to, I don't know. It was just this weird out-of-body experience. And I said, what happened to me? Well, I'll tell you what happened to me. By beholding, (laughs) I'd become changed. By meditating and contemplating and visualizing and experiencing the beautiful sermon by Charles Bradford for a duration of six months, day and night, over and over, unconsciously. I had become the Korean version (laughs) of Charles Bradford. And this is what happens. This is an incredible principle in how we become transformed. We naturally become what we behold. It is a law. Of the mind, and this is a quotation from the book *The Shadow of the Almighty*, the story of Jim Elliot, written by Elizabeth Elliot. By the way, if you want a book that is going to challenge you it, and challenge our middle-class comfort, uh, this book is is a radical book. Jim Elliot went to South America and um, gave his life gave his life as a martyr and left his wife and children without a father. And uh, it it is a radical book as he prepared during his time at school uh, for missions. And this is his wife reflecting on his journey. A man's thoughts die his soul. A man's thoughts die his soul, constantly dwelling in the words of the Lord dyed Jim's soul, and its color was not hidden from fellow students. There's a lot of studies about the, the nature of which side of the brain does which type of activities, and typically we say that the left brain is logical, Analysis, sequencing, linear, mathematics, language, facts, thinking words, uh, words of songs, computation. And this is the analytical, a linear side of the brain. And when I went to seminary, which side of the brain do you think was the most developed? It was the left. It was the left. Yeah. Exegesis, analysis of scripture formulation of concepts and so forth, a lot of papers that we had to write. And I appreciate my seminary education. It was a wonderful experience. And so it was, it was that side of the brain. And then you have the right side of the brain, which is creativity, imagination, holistic thinking, intuition, um, the arts, uh, music, uh, the nonverbal feelings. Notice this word, Visualization. Songs, daydreaming, and this is the side of the brain that is creative and thinks in pictures and visualization and so forth. And and I think that we as a people, as a community of faith, would do well to engage both sides of our brain. Amen? We need the analytical. We also need the right side. To engage that side of our brain. And I want to read to you this quotation from Thoughts of the Mount of Blessing, page 1. And this is a fascinating way of reading Scripture. Not only using analysis, but here Ellen White says, let us in, what does the word say on the screen? Imagination. imagination. Is that the left or the right side of the brain? That's the right side of the brain. In other words, when you engage Scripture, it would do us well to not only focus on analysis... But also the right brain. Let us, in imagination, go back to the scene. And as we sit with the disciples, this is very right brain, on the mountainside, enter into the thoughts and the feelings that filled their hearts, understanding what the words of Jesus meant to those who heard them, we may discern in them a new vividness and beauty and may also gather for ourselves their deeper lessons. In other words, there is a great benefit in engaging that right side of the brain and in our God-given, sanctified imagination, go back into that scene and imagine yourself There, there's a great benefit that we gain. And here it is from the book Desire of Ages. It would do us well to spend a thoughtful hour each day, and here's the word, in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point and let the imagination, right brain, brain word again, grasp each scene, especially the closing ones. And as we thus dwell upon his great sacrifice for us, our confidence in Him will be more constant, our love will be quickened, and we shall be more deeply imbued with His Spirit. In other words, we need to use our imagination as we read Scripture and imagine Jesus and there's something that happens to us as we use our God-given imagination to picture Jesus, especially through his final moments. There is a transformation that happens in our own hearts. Look at what happened to the Apostle John, book of Acts the Apostles, page 557. The power and tenderness, the majesty and meekness, the strength and the patience, that he saw in the daily life of the Son of God filled his soul with admiration. He yielded his resentful, ambitious temper to the molding power of Christ, and the divine love wrought in him a transformation of character. And here is the thesis of our study today. If you forget everything that we've talked about, Try to remember this. Here it is. Imagination leads to admiration, which leads to transformation. Imagination, contemplation leads to admiration, which leads to transformation. Have you ever admired somebody? There is something that happens when we admire and think about an individual we become like what we behold the definition of imagination the capacity to produce images ideas and sensations in the mind without any immediate impulse of the senses such as seeing or hearing and we do this all the time what is your imagination life like What do you like to visualize and think about on a daily basis? You're picturing something every single day. What is it? That is having an impact on our lives. Synonyms of contemplation is meditation, visualization, reflection. And I'd like to hone in on this word meditation here and make a differentiation. Eastern meditative practices involve the emptying of the mind Whereas biblical meditation involves filling the mind with the word of God, reflecting carefully upon God's revelation of himself in the scriptures, in the life and ministry of Jesus, and upon God's act in history, including the life of the believer. So, Eastern meditative practices are emptying the mind. Biblical meditation, and there is biblical meditation all throughout scripture, is, is filling the mind. With the Word of God, a visualization of the Word of God. Here's a couple of texts. I could go through a whole bunch. Um, Psalms one nineteen verse twenty seven. Make me understand the way of your precepts, so shall I meditate on your wonderful works. First Timothy chapter four verse twelve. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Christ's Object Lessons, page 59, "...merely to hear or to read the Word is not enough. He who desires to be profited by the Scriptures must meditate upon the truth that he has been presented to them. God bids us fill the mind with great thoughts, with pure thoughts. He desires us to meditate upon His love and mercy, to study His wonderful work in the plan of redemption." The soul dwelling in the pure atmosphere of holy thought will be transformed by communion with God through the study of the scriptures. There is a a word. It's the word ruminate. Ruminate, and that comes from the cow I uh, canvassed in southern Vermont, and we stayed on a dairy farm. And I grew up in the city. This was a new experience for me. And I ventured out to where the dairy cows were, and the cow was ruminating, chewing the cud. And this is what biblical meditation is like. Thinking about something over and over and over again. Here it is, um, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. This is a different type of meditation. And God saw that the wickedness... Of man was great on the earth, and that every notice the word here imagination of the thoughts was only evil continually. What do you think the imagination life like life is like in Los Angeles of your average individual, or even in Loma Linda? Second um, Corinthians chapter ten verse five. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And I want to make a modern application on this because I would venture to guess that we are living in an age today where uh, we are meditating on something else, and it comes through a a very uh, convenient medium. Here it is. This is... uh, this is the modern meditation medium. You ever notice that? Um, I was waiting in line to get a burrito, and I noticed that everyone was on their phone. I mean, this is this is like modern meditation, and uh, uh, I mean, it's it's addictive. You know, you wake up, you look at this. While you're in line, you look at this, and. Uh, I have a feeling most people are not looking at their Bibles. Just a strange hunch there. And, and before you go to bed, you look at this. I mean, talk about meditation. This is this is the the medium of modern meditation, and uh, this is a quotation from. An individual that was giving a talk, he's the former vice president of user growth at Facebook, and he's giving a talk to an audience of Stanford University students. And so here it is. I feel tremendous guilt, admitted, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce this name, Chamath, former vice president of user growth at Facebook. To an audience of Stanford students, he was responding to a question about his involvement in exploiting consumer behavior. The short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we have created are destroying how society works, he explained. In Pali Hapatia's talk, he highlighted something most of us know, but really few appreciate smartphones and the social media platforms they are supporting are turning us into bona fide addicts. While it's easy to dismiss this claim as hyperbole, platforms like Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram leverage the very same neural circuitry used by slot machines and cocaine to keep us using their products as much as possible. Taking a closer look at the underlying science may give you pause the next time you feel your pocket buzz. Remember when BlackBerry was around? I had one, and every time I would get an email, it would buzz. And I had this compulsion to check my email. They call it Crackberry. <laughs> and I'm, I'm realizing, as i reflected on my own engagement with, with this wonderful tool, and it is a tool. It's about how we use it. I've had to... Um, I've had to put limits on how I use my devices. And my wife made a reflection. We had one month where our internet uh, went down. And my wife said that during that month, our marriage conversation was the best that it ever had been in 10 years. And I thought about that and I said, oh, what does that stay, say about our relationships and the impact that these devices are having? Now, I love the fact that I can deposit a check without having to go to the bank. You know, so we need to use these tools, but, but this is a reality that we are facing as, as a people. This is becoming the subject of our meditation, and in the end of time, there are going to be two groups of people, a group of people that are just like Jesus, that have the seal of God, and a group of people that have the mark of the beast. And there is a foot race right now to see whose character will be developed in people. And both are using the same principle of by beholding, we become changed. Um, You know, when you go through TSA, which I hear because of the government shutdown, it's becoming uh, difficult because a lot of TSA workers are calling in sick, Um, there is a screening that takes place before you go into the secure area. And uh, I've lost my precious knife uh, a number of years ago. These things that are not allowed. And we need to think of our brains as a secure area, and there is a filter that we need to have. And this Philippians 4, verse 8. Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it praiseworthy? So before it comes into that secure area, the inner sanctum of our minds, before we choose to meditate on it and think about it over and over again, it needs to go through a screening. Amen? We can't just let anything in. Now, there are some things that we just can't help. Some Thoughts just pop into our brains, and we get into this fallacy or this, this faulty thinking. You know what? I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to think about it. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to visualize it. We need to evaluate before we contemplate. There needs to be a screening that takes place before it comes into that secure area. And this is from the book In Heavenly Places. Even the thoughts must be brought into subjection to the will of God. And the feelings under the control are of reason. Our imagination was not given to us to be allowed to run riot and have its own way without any effort At restraint and discipline, if the thoughts are wrong, the feelings will be wrong. And there's a saying that goes like this. You can't keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in it. We have thoughts that are crossing our consciousness, and they just come in our brains. We don't know where they come from. But there is a moment in which a split second in which we have the choice of whether we're going to allow it to take up residence in our minds. In the book of James, it uses the analogy of conception, talking about the anatomy of sin. It says that when sin has conceived, it brings forth death. So here's the thought. The egg comes across our consciousness... And unless there is, what, conception, all right, that thought will will pass. But the moment that we say, you know what, I'm going to think about that a little bit more, I'm going to enjoy this thought, there is conception. So we have that split second when that thought comes over our consciousness of whether we're going to say, look, I'm going to dwell on that thought. And the principle is dismiss... And replace. Dismiss and replace. And it is a habit. It's a process. We need a constant sense of the ennobling power of pure thoughts and the damaging influence of evil thoughts. Let us place our thoughts upon holy things. Let them be pure and true. True, For our only security for any soul is right thinking. Now, I have an admission to make. Uh, confession. I am uh, a media addict, and this was a predisposition um, since childhood. My parents noticed that as soon as they placed me in front of a TV, um, I would be mesmerized for hours. And we had a TV that looked like this. It was a big TV. It was like furniture that took up residence in our living room and um they couldn't control um, me or the use of that and finally they prayed and they said lord we don't know what to do we need your help in this situation and i believe the lord answers prayers like this they they prayed to god and said lord our, our son is headed down a path where he's going to be contemplating things that are coming over the airways, and and we need your help. Help us willing to be made willing. And one night we came home from church, Friday night, and all the doors of our house were open. This was in Tacoma Park, Maryland. And all the lights were on. And my dad said, stay in the car, and he went inside. And the only thing (laughs) <laughs> that these thieves took was the television. Oh, and they took my dad's razors. I don't know why they wanted that. but uh, And I was like, what kind of prayer is that? You know, and uh, so, so the Lord removed that. Later on, when I was in ministry, I um, was on eBay and I got into this bidding war and I accidentally bought a television. I, with no intention of buying it and I brought this TV into the home. I was in Berrien Springs at the time as a youth pastor and, uh, I was watching three ABN and then it went from three ABN to, uh, to Oprah <laughs> and then from Oprah, then I was watching things that were in that questionable area. And then it just went downhill from there and I knew that I was in trouble. Because when I got up in the morning, instead of reaching for my Bible, I reached for the remote. Mm. And I said, Lord, I need help. And there's a beautiful statement in the book, Christ Object Lessons, that says, if we are willing to be made willing. In other words, God doesn't need our willingness. He needs our willing to be made willing to be made willing. We can come to God and say, Lord, I don't have the desire, but create in me a desire. We can't control our thoughts. I mean, if you're coming away today thinking that, oh, I just need self-discipline. I'm going to control my thoughts. I have news for you. It is impossible. It is impossible of our own human capabilities. And And I came to God and I said, Lord, I need your help. I love television. Be honest with you. I need your help. Help me to be willing to be made willing. I love it. Help me to hate it. And it was from this posture that I got up from my knees, and I took this television, I boxed it up, and I dropped it off at the Adventist Community Center. (laughs) And it is a beautiful thing that we can have in our Christian experience. First uh, Psalm 1, verse 2, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on His law day and night. We can pray to God and say, Lord, help me to make you my favorite thought. My favorite thought, the thing that I love to think about when I get up and when I go to bed at night, the thing that I love to think about throughout my day. And look at this in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. This is a theme throughout Scripture that the people that became like Jesus were thinking about God throughout their day. Jesus became their favorite thought. And this is a work of grace. This is a work of grace, patriarchs and prophets. Page 85, Enoch. Talking about Enoch. The infinite, unfathomable love of God through Christ became the subject of his meditations day and night. And with all the fervor of his soul, he sought to reveal that love to people among whom he dwelt. And so, as we wrap up today, I want to encourage you to take a 30-day challenge. To say that it takes roughly a month to, to have a habit. Make time in the morning. Ask God to get you up. I know one pastor's wife says that she never sets her alarm. She says, Lord, may you send your angel to touch me in the morning when you want me to spend time with you. And I believe that God's angel comes beside your bed and wakes you up. I met a church member at my local church. He said, I took you up on this offer, and I prayed to God, and he woke me up. And it was earlier than I expected. So... He turned over and said, Lord, it's too early. And uh, so it's, it's been an ongoing process for him. But make time in the morning. The night before, it said, Lord, get me up tomorrow. When, when you want me to spend time with you, get me up. And I believe that God will get you up. Spend time with God in the morning. Put your phone on airplane mode. Amen. It'll still be there. It'll still be there. Choose a Bible passage. And I want to, to encourage you to engage your right brain. Your sanctified imagination. And like thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, go back to the scene and experience the scene. Imagine Jesus being there. What does he look like? What does he sound like? How is he talking to the people? Journal your thoughts and meditate on the text throughout the day and say, Lord, may the character of Christ be my favorite subject of meditation. Imagination leads to admiration, which leads to our transformation. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us our imagination to be used for your glory. And Father, we will be the first to admit this morning that we cannot control our thoughts. Our promises are like ropes of sand, but we can give you our will. Help us to be willing to be made willing. Lord, give us a deeper desire for you. May you become our favorite thoughts. The place that we love to go and to contemplate, to meditate on the beauty of our Savior. Bless us, we pray, throughout this Sabbath. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.